Hello and welcome to Conversations from the ANF Network. In this episode, I speak to adoptive parents Julie and Catherine. They are solo adopters and share their experience of adopting on their own. They've set up an organisation called SASI, Solo Adopters Social Support and Information, which is a community for parents like themselves. We chat about the specific issues that solo adopters face, as well as the work and hopes of SASI. And as always, if you've experienced adoption, fostering or special guardianship from any perspective, personal or professional, and would like to share that on the podcast, please do get in touch through the Facebook page, Twitter, or you can email us at anfpodcast at gmail.com. Today I'm speaking to Julie and Catherine from Sassy. So rather than me trying to explain what Sassy is, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. So hi everybody, I am Julie. I am the director of the charity Sassy. Uh, I have one daughter who's been home for nearly 10 years and she's 13 now, which is uh, a great experience. And um, (laughs) so Sassy is stands for Solo Adopters Social Support and Information. So really, we're a peer support charity for um, solo adopters, but we'll we'll delve more into that uh, later in the in the conversation. Yeah, and I'm Catherine. I'm also a solo adopter, and I have one son who's 11 years old. I adopted him 10 years ago. It was our 10 year anniversary back in the end of August there. And I'm a founding member of Sassy, and I'm also the treasurer, so the money is in my control. And I've been in this group since I first adopted as well. So again, more on that later. So can you tell me a bit about how you came to, to be? Because um, local authorities, they, you know, regional adoption agencies, adoption agencies, they often are trying to build peer support groups. Um, is that your origins or is there another? How did you come to be, you know, how did you become, come to be Sassy? So, um, um, yeah, I'll take that one. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, you take it, Catherine. I'll take that one because, um, although Sassy is quite a new charity, it's only really um, within the last year that we've become a charity, the community itself has been going for 10 years. So, and it is a free community. When I first adopted, my agency put me in touch with other solos on the books. And that's when I met Tracy and Gail, the other trustees of the charity. Um, and we've been meeting up ever since. We started actually in going into the agency's building and having a social worker present so that we had a professional to ask advice to. But we quickly realised that we didn't need that professional support. We actually just needed the um, chit chat and the social between us. Maybe have a bit of a rant here and there, maybe sometimes about the social workers. And um, the kids needed more than just a, a, a building to play in as well. So we started a range of meetups in parks and beaches we didn't have a social worker then. Um, and we set up the WhatsApp group. It was called Mad Hatters back in the day so that we could ask each other advice and be there for immediate help rather than just wait for the meetups. And then we grew just through meeting people at training events, so the solos, and inviting them to join the group. That's actually how um, Julie joined, wasn't it, Julie, back in the yeah, day? Yeah, I mean, uh, my daughter had been home just a few months and I joined, so it was more... The thing that struck me at the very beginning was just the immediate network in sort of breadth of of shared knowledge all of a sudden you know I wasn't just hearing it from a social worker's mouth I was hearing it from people who'd lived it currently living it um you know so it was to be it was a bit more valuable to me um so you know we tend to struggle we tend to reach out for somebody to give us advice and thoughts so you know this was to me was the perfect group when they have that kind of experience 
I mean, I've got no family locally. My nearest family is six, seven hours away. So I haven't got granny and granddad for mm-hmm. my local um, childcare or anything. So it was great to be able to then just reach out and treat these like my family. And now, nearly 10 years down the line, I feel like I'm a member of every single one of the their families. Um, I get honest thoughts. I share more honest thoughts than I do with my family and friends. Um, because I know they'll understand it and they they give me honest answers back. Um, and the regular meetups, it encourages me to go somewhere with my child because sometimes the thought of going somewhere and the meltdowns and the behaviours, but, you know, if, it, if something's set up, I'll go because I know that there's going to be understanding there. And more often than not, my child wants somebody to play with um, and that offers it with all the other children that attend. Um, and I'm not longer, I'm not imposing on, any other friends family time and and things like that so it's with people that understand and and can offer what i'm looking for mm-hmm. can i ask then uh, that's probably a th- the question before that is then um and we've not we've not even discussed the issue around that language you know around solo adopters or single adopters because i think that sometimes people will refer to them and i think though there's there's maybe two distinct things going on there and so can you sort of ex- dance around that and explain that for me the difference what is what you mean what why solo adopter and why not single adopter but also what is the experience of a solo adopter what what makes it unique what stands stands it aside from you know more conventional couples adoption so we tend to use the word solo because single automatically puts you in some sort of marital status so it implies that there is some partner, ex-partner, current partner, there is somebody else available. Um, but the word solo really shows that we are alone in bringing up our children. So every responsibility is ours, um, which is really daunting when you think, you know, you've got to decide what school to go to. You've got to decide, you know, what kind of clothes or, or all these kinds of things that you've got to decide. And I don't know what you're like, but the thought of what's for dinner tonight, but not only that, having to prep it, cook it, clean it, you know, it's it's a lot on top of which school they're going to. Are they happy in school? Is Are they getting their educations better? That, that kind of thing. It's it's a lot. What do you think, Catherine? It is. Yeah. And we've got to be everything as well. So we've got to be the mom and the dad, the disciplinarian and the best friend, the playmate, the cook, the cleaner, the chauffeur, shoulder for them to cry on the person that they um, take their frustration out on. And we give them money for the privilege. And we're there and the only ones there for every event in their life. So um, the first day of school, the last day of school, every show, every assembly, every sports day. And all their after school clubs and hobbies, we pay for them and we're interested in them and we take them. And yeah, it is a lot, isn't it? Mm. But if you think about the budget that's attached to that as well, I mean, you know, not only that, we're budgeting for holidays, Christmases, birthdays, and you know, even the present wrapping. I'm I'm a midnight Christmas Eve wrapper, which is even harder. It's the added extra thing to do to the to the budget, isn't it? But you know, it's full it's full time is what we're trying to say. It's exhausting. Yeah. You know, not only have you got the housework and the life and work and having mental capacity to fit everything in, you're then looking at your child's sort of um adverse childhood experiences that they've had. And then the impact on top of then. So, mm. you know, you've got early life trauma, which then could do things like school refusal, emotional dysregulation, 
violence. Um, so then along with that comes appointments with professionals in therapy and what everyone hates, the dreaded paperwork. So we're always filling in forms, <laughs> always. Yeah. Oh, Lords, Lords. It's always a battle. It is. It's always a battle. And we have to learn a whole different side of parenting, don't we? You know, a therapeutic parenting, which is great and it helps. But actually, it's not the typical kind of parenting that you would see in the media or that everybody had as, as they were growing up. So although we have to learn it, the rest of the, the world don't necessarily understand. So when we're not telling our kids off because we're actually forming a connection and in a relationship, everyone else is judging and thinking that we're bad parents. Mm-hmm. And we can actually lose. And, and this is a lot of experiences of a lot of solo adopters that I speak to is we lose friends and family because they just don't understand. They don't understand our children. They don't understand how we're parent our children. And that makes us even more alone, doesn't it? And it's where Sassy can come in and help. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're here to talk about Sassy and that's, that's, you know, it's, it's an important resource yeah. in the Northeast, but I have, as you're talking there, it's kind of made me ask this question and it's a slightly uh, a devil's advocate yeah. sort of question is that then, in terms of our solo adopters, people who start the application process and know, knowing that, uh, does that then, you described the the challenges that you face. Do you think that then the assessment and the, the, the assessment process of, of solo adopters and then the subsequent support that they're given, does it marry up to your experience then? Do you think that we're just sort of treating them as half of a couple because they're not? It's not half a couple, is it? It's that's a wrong way of framing it. It's it's something totally different, isn't it? Yeah. Um, in my experience, no. So I did get a um once I'd adopted, so so the, the assessment process and the training that you get, you're with couples anyway. So you're just told one thing, you're not told anything different. Um, so you don't necessarily realize the impact of all of this, but you also uh, this adverse childhood, you know, it goes right back mm. to the womb, isn't it? In utero. So if if the child has experienced violence in utero, they're going to be developed. They, they developed themselves with high stress hormones. So regardless of their early life experience, actually, just through having a, a birth parents who didn't do that nurturing, headset on, this what's out on their belly, you know, they've they're already got something different about them. That is not explained well enough, I think, in the training that you will experience something. The level to which will be di- will be different, varying, depending on your child's um, yeah. tolerance levels. But you will, every single person will experience something. And I, that's not really clear. We've said that, haven't we, Julie? Yes. That's actually one of the things that we'd like to get across to SASE members is, you know, how much you experience is, it will be different, but you will experience something. Whereas in the training, it's very much, you may, you may, your child mm. may. But if you if you adopt them early enough, you'll be fine, you know. And then I, I got our salary return it leave, so it was within the first year of adopting. I did get a um like a, a little nine week training course on therapeutic parenting, I think. So when you get you get a little file and stuff like that, you attend it, and it's and it it's all great and it all makes sense. But by the time my child was actually experiencing some some of those things, I'd forgotten it all. And when you attend it. It's very much, you may experience this, mm. you may experience that. You know, it's never like, you will. <laughs> you, uh, prepare yourself, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I've said that, it, it wouldn't have stopped me from adopting, definitely not. It's the best thing I've ever done, but the, I, I wish I'd been more prepared for what I was going to 
face. Yeah. And yeah, that's my that's my big thing that I would like to get across. And I think sort of people now coming coming in adopting. My my sort of input would be then post adoption wise is you know Kathleen talked about the the before your child comes home be prepared, but I think when your child's home and you are experiencing your bumps in your roads and you are attending and asking for help, you know, quite often I was often given the phrase in training of you know. Ask your, ask your partner, get your partner to step in, or when you're doing the bedtime and you need a break, get your partner to step in. And I will go, go to the gym. Where's yeah? Where where's when when can you go to the gym? Nobody's nobody's there to look after them. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, where's this partner to step in and be making the tea when I'm having a horrendous um bedtime and I haven't eaten yet, or put the bins out and you suddenly remember at two in the morning, that kind of things. So I don't think there's a lot of solutions and Quite often than not, I felt unsupported as a solo parent in in some of the the solutions and in, in practices that they were offering. Yeah. Um, and at time I adopted at a time that there was a big focus on the LGBTQ coming into um adoption. Uh, and they seemed to get extra things said to them and extra th- extra kind of support. There was there just seems to be a bit more of a language around it and a bit more of a chat around it. Whereas for me, for for solo, um, you know, I didn't meet any other solos until I was a few months in and I turned up to to our meetings, um, you know, and so therefore a, a solo parent in the adoption world. You were solo. Yes, was different. Um, so I needed to meet more people. Hmm. So I think that's what we're trying to offer is that, you know, we can be there from the beginning and hi, we do exist. We're not all aliens. You're not alone. And uh you know, this is kind of what you need to prepare for. Do we have any ideas in terms of the numbers of solo approved adopters? Or is um, it a percentage or yeah, I mean the figures that we do. Yeah, the figures that we looked up was um so in 2020, 2021, 21. um there was 11% of adopters were solo. So that's 310 across the whole of England. And when you think about that, we just cover the northeast you know, our potential is quite small. So at the moment, we have 35 members um, with an age range of children between 1 and 20. Um, be rude to mention the parents' ages, so we'll, we'll, we'll bypass that. But the So the local membership is currently 35 members, and that's Northumberland to Teesside, um, with a mix of one to five children per family. So, you know, although we have a really small base, we, you know, we recognise that, we might get overlooked because we are small in our power um, mm. in our audience. Um, so yeah, it's, it's sometimes, it's, you know, your couples and your others are, are, are bigger in their, in those audiences and things fit better. Well, it's interesting. You use the comparison and probably a similar in numbers in terms of same sex couples. Um, yes. And they're probably seen as quite a distinct bespoke group. So there's probably service development, which is absolutely, as it should be. But as you mm-hmm. said, the idea of um, it's, yeah, great, you know, um, but as solo adopters, um, that it feels like it is maybe something there's a bit of a blind spot there that yes, um, in term, and like you say, and I, it's made me reflect and I often do sort of parenting training and tra- you know, training two parents, adoptive parents, so, and made me think again about, all right, okay, you need to be aware that maybe if there's 10 people there, one of them, give or take, might be two more may not have the ability, you know, to sort of to tag team their partner and go, 
you step in because I'm dysregulating. So does it, when you start to think of it in those terms, it seems to it does feel like it's a it is a, a an issue that everyone needs to think about, not just assessment and recruitment, but also um, uh, support specifically support. You did one thing you did as you were talking. It raised it piqued my interest. You did you said you're not going to mention the, the ages of your members, but actually, is there a <laughs> um, in my head? And this is maybe me just going with my comfortable stereotypes. Is it who are the people who come to solo adoption? Who are those people, and what are, are they older? Are they younger? Are they? Is it? Is it men? Well, is it women? Yeah. When I when I adopted, I, I mean, being solo was one was one sort of hurdle, but I was under thirty, so I was twenty seven when I came to adopt, and that that in itself was kind of oh, an aliens landed, um, sort of thing. Um, and I got question after question of being solo. So my support network was massively focused on, um, along with um, my age. You know, did I want to do this to my life so early? Did I want to, you know, was I doing the right thing? Have I given up on life or whatever so early that this is my route I'm going to take? Mm. I mean, I decided well before my teens that this was what I was going to do. Not always... I didn't have it always in my head that I was going to be solo, but adoption was going to be my my route to parenthood. Um, and it just you know my situation came along, and that's where that's where I've I've, I've gone. Wouldn't change it for the world. Can't imagine having to have mental capacity for somebody else in my life, never mind my child. Um, so so yes, I mean that's what I don't know if that's how you ended up in it, Catherine, or what brought you to it. Um, I- I was a bit I was a bit older. I was 37. I hadn't found a partner to have a child with and thought I was running out of time and definitely wanted a child. So I, I had actually said that if I wasn't in a relationship when I was 30, I would adopt. I'd said that in my 20s. And then when 30 came, I was like, oh, I'm 40. So it was 37 for me. And I, I think we're all um you asked two questions there, yeah. Al. You asked whether what the ages were and also what the what the makeup was. So age ranges, we definitely have. Um, I think it's more common, isn't it, to have people that are 30, 30, late 30s, early 40s to adopt for the first time. So we've now got ranges, um, late 20s, early 30s to late 50s now, because we've got some people in the group for a long time. Um, Makeup wise, we are all white women. So we did have one man, solo adopter, a long time ago who left the group. Obviously, we weren't for them. them. Um, And we had... We, we don't really have any cultural differences at the moment. That's not to say that we don't want them and that we're not open to them. That's just who we've attracted so far, I guess, is the uh, the white women, white northern women here. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, that doesn't worry me because I think, well, you, you, the reality is when you when you look at the numbers of people who are adopting, like you say, there's 300 single yeah. adopters, last solo adopters last year, um, and then you break it down to the northeast yeah. and then you break it down to the, the demographics of the northeast, you go, well, who else would it be? You know, yeah. in reality, yeah. so it's not like that you're turning hundred, like tens of men away that, that I know of, but you're not. No, you're, you're not. no we're not. We're not. No. We're, we're, yeah. um, not turning anywhere, any men Yeah, away. and I, I mean, there's no, we've got no breakup, but I would imagine that the number of men are probably one in 10, one in 20 solo adopters. I would, I would suggest it would be significant. Oh, no, that figure wasn't. Yeah. When we looked it up, that figure wasn't available, was yeah. it? So I don't, I just genuinely don't know, don't know at all. I know too. Uh, and that's there you yeah. 
um that's across the country so yeah, yeah it is and it's yeah. but that that comes with a whole kind of other kind of cultural suspicions about that probably not present for it does for doesn't women. it um yeah any yeah. anywho we're, we're yeah. in the long grass there aren't <laughs> that's we that's a whole different podcast <laughs> well into the long grass um so tell me about um the work that you do sassy you know that you've described quite a i'm not can i use the word vulnerable community mm-hmm. yes is that is that i guess we i are. don't want to label you but it feels like a community that you know that is in need i think i think that's the trouble um sorry sorry you broke up a bit there catherine but um i think that's the trouble you know when when you say you don't want to label but then that's the difficulties that we come across is because of society's boundaries and society's ideas of what your typical family is of 2.3 children or or mm-hmm. whatever it is so you know i i was often hit by as well by the the older parts of society shall we say of oh do they let single people adopt to um oh you know you're so lucky to have found each other all the, the usual sort of um yeah. stereotypes that you get when you adopt um but i think sometimes as a solo it's it's those extra barriers because you do tend to then have your stereotypes of single parents um you know struggling being on benefits fighting with ex-partners shared childcare, all them kind of things and you know I don't think we fit those stereotypes whatsoever I feel that we are strong parents mm-hmm. um and even more so for doing it on our own um, not that I'm putting down anybody's effort as a parent, but you know, we we have we are strong people. We come we come across you know a lot of difficulties in and that kind of things, and we we notice when we talk around our group just how much strength it takes mm. to even leave the house with the right pair of shoes on. You know, can be can be the challenge for the day. Um, so yeah, I I think. We're strong people, and I think you know we are vulnerable because you know we are we are such a small community um, that we do have to be quite strong backboned in in the yeah. way that we approach things. I I was just going to say that I don't think we see ourselves as vulnerable, even though we have lots of struggles, because we are very strong right. women. I mean, as a as a but I, I do think sometimes when you're strong and you cope, people don't just automatically offer you support. So actually, we have to ask for ask for everything that, that we that we want. And sometimes you don't know what's available, so you don't know what to ask. But people who are strong like us, it's hard to ask as well. So this is why having that community where the people are like, it's okay to ask, and this is where you go, it is invaluable, isn't it? I mean, if you think about. The, the people that we've got, I mean, we've got some brilliant people. We've got um, a, we've got a, a, a firefighter, first fire woman firefighter manager, wrote, wrote a book about it and everything. We've got people who've done graduates. We've got um, somebody who set up their own business. They couldn't work anymore, so they set up their own business doing as an NVR practitioner. You know, yeah. it's it. We're not these. You know, sort of. When you say vulnerable, you kind of expect people to be like failing and you know, like drowning. And I can't, I can't cope. Actually, we're not. We are really, really um, achieving. It's just that 
It's a lot yes. <laughs> to achieve. I think you can be vulnerable and strong at the same time, can't you? I, 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 yes, yes the, the two things yeah. are not mutually exclusive. And um, I'm, yeah, I don't want to pigeonhole you as this kind of this, this group of sort of feeble Northern women. Uh, being yes. the son of a Northern woman, uh, I would I would never, never. Uh, I know that hell hath no fury like a Northern mother. Um, so, um so does that then that has then yep. clearly shaped sassy and the um the work that you do and so tell me more about that really unpick what what are you doing on a really practical level and how has that been received by sort of second part of the question how has that been received by the regional adoption agency which i guess everyone is now under within that yeah and a couple of re- agencies that you're under aren't you yeah i mean basically the heart and soul of it is we're a free community um so you know we offer um, a group of people that have all there have all been there, done that, worn the t-shirt, or a group or part of the group might be coming along saying, "Can I borrow that t-shirt? Can I, you know, think about where I've been?" And it's you know the biggest thing that's part of our community is just the no judgment, the understanding, the empathy, and we know, as Catherine's just described there, we can back that all up with professional practice of. You know, we have we have members there that have gone on to do further study. So we've I've gone on to do a master's in psychology. Um, Tracy, another one of our uh, um, trustees, did counselling in psychology as a degree. We've got Gail, who did the NVR practitioner. Um, but Tracy and I, when we did our adoption, when we did our um, degrees, we focused on research that was specifically around solo adoption. So Tracy looked at the impact of therapeutic parenting on the solo adopter, you know, so looking at their mental well-being of constantly having to be that five five steps ahead. Um, and I looked at the impact of peer support on solo adopters. And the thing we found is that solo adopters benefit from knowing other solo adopters and they benefit from sharing those experiences because we found that we do have some unique struggles in the world. Um, in the adoption community uh, that impacts our mental well-being and so being able to access a group of people to be able to learn vent but also celebrate um is helped within our like stressful times um you know our unique struggles as we are with our children 24 7 so you know we have to take them to hair appointments we have to take them to doctor's appointments um and even just a couple with a friend and there is no time off i mean catherine's got a recent experience there in during the pandemic of being ill, um, you know, with COVID, but mm. still needed to be that parent. Still, you know, still had to do the dinners and the you know, all the things that went on, and uh, and fitting that in. So, really, as a charity, as a group, we we just offer that friendship. We offer that village. That's our tagline: is we can be your village because it takes a village to raise a child, and you know, as a solo person. We, we need to be able to have people that we can reach out because I'm sure as this isn't unique for any adopter, your support network changes from the moment your child comes home. It's it's not the one you envisioned when you started with. And if it is, you're really lucky. But when your child comes home, everything changes. And, you know, we are a support network that's uh, already got their feet on the ground and, and have the strength to, to hold people up. Hmm. That's what we would say. Do you agree, Catherine? I do agree. And I think you asked what 
uh, well, I'll, I'll address the second part of the question as well in a sec. But you also asked what practically we're doing. So mm -hmm. just to cover that, um, yeah, we are a free, this free community and I don't think that should be minimised. It's it's really, really yeah. important to just have somebody to reach out to. And we're available on Facebook and WhatsApp for that immediate support and then the, the events. What we're also um, offering as a charity, so this is what we've been offering since I started, but now it's become a charity and we've been a bit more formal, we're offering some online guidance and stuff like that, support, and we're targeting different things. So we've just we've just completed one on what schools should offer, to be honest, to, to um under their local offer. So and EHCPs and stuff like that. So in in readiness for people picking schools, secondary schools and uh, or primary schools even. You know, make sure you've got the right school. Your most local one to you might not be the best. You know, pick one that's trauma informed. Pick one that has a good Senko department and stuff like that. So we've just done that. We are then going to gather all that information that we got from that, put it into a resource and have it as a resource on our website. And we're also going to offer that. Um, we're going to do more of those. So the next one that we have planned is on DLE, Disability Living Allowance. So um, things like that. So we're, we're, we're going to do a lot more practical stuff. And actually, that's the core of what we're going to offer. We have got future plans, which I'll come to in a sec. But you did say, how is it being received by the local authorities? Yeah. And uh, that's where Julie, you'll probably have more information because actually Julie is the director of SASE, is um, spending some of her time making relationships with the local um, agencies, aren't you, and yeah. um, professional support bodies and letting them know that we're out there. And it, building our reputation with them is key to what to where we want to go in the future, isn't it, yeah. Julie? I don't know if you want to add more to that. I mean, I the, <laughs> most of the ones, if not all of them in the local area, I have met with and, and chatted with and all very excited about what it is that we can offer um and i think the what we're planning on doing now and what some of the discussions are around is just how we fit in so you know do we come along to the pre-training um and yeah. and get involved that way yeah. are we matched with solos when they first apply um or when you know the child's come home are they then given to us um in help with the post-adoption support or at least pointed in our direction um so it's about how we sort of um nobody sort of does the same work twice if you know what i mean and we take on the work that that needs to be done so it's it's fitting in um where they can where do we fit yes in? that's what i'm trying to say um so where do we fit in but uh you know we're as i say we're a year down the line um we're just starting to get our first bit of funding coming into the bank and it's you know, so we're, we're just trying to build that reputation and be someone that when they say, oh, have you worked with Sassy, that they know that they can say, yes, I've experienced this and, you know, and the strength and in things that they got from that involvement. So really, we're just trying to build our uh, name at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, longer term, I mean, I know you're, you're based within the Northeast if people want to get involved. There's also sort of an, an online capacity. Are you comfortable with people who are not necessarily you know, someone in Yorkshire, for example, or Humber, or further, further afield, if they, are you happy for them to sort of participate online? Are you, do you do much online beyond Facebook or is it, are you mainly a physical kind of organisation, physical resource? Uh, I do most of the online sort of things at the moment. Um, yes, I mean, our, our public social media is growing and, you know, publicly you could join our Facebooks, our different social medias, um, I mean, if you go to our website, so www.sassy.uk, um, 
you'll find all the links to our different um, social medias. But so on there, you know, we we do publicly post post things. But for our um, private groups, we ask that you're well, obviously that you're a solo adopter. We do ask for proof of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're quite flexible in what that proof could be because we are aware that not everybody's currently involved with social worker, for example, or or things like that. So we are flexible in what that proof could be. But we are very aware that we need to keep our security for our group. Um, and yeah. so as long as they're, you know, adopters and they're in there, they can be, they're welcome to our group and they can be involved because they can still do like what Catherine was mentioning there, our EHCP and our DLAs online um, chats and things. So they can still be involved in all that. We do online meetups. The difficulty will then come with our physical face-to-face meetups, yeah. which we really is probably a bit of our bread and butter at the, at the same time is that we've actually, you know, there's more to it than just chatting online. Um, but no, we're not uh, adverse to people joining if they're out with the area, just knowing that they would miss out in the, the face-to-face. I mean, we would love to expand. Yes, I wanted to travel. Yeah, we would love to expand and be physically in those areas, but it's just it's just not our current yeah. capacity. We're all volunteers at the moment. Um, you know, we've all got our own lives going on and we just physically cannot cover beyond the area that we're doing. But who's to say Sassy might come to a city near you in the future? You know, it's it's not just it not it's not just a local package. It could expand. That's exciting. So, it could expand. Yeah. It's very exciting, and it could expand. We want it to. We want to maintain the quality. Yes. So we don't. We want to do it when we can be successful, not when not just because we want to do it. So it's. But yeah, please do get involved in the online stuff. Definitely. Um, I don't have any more questions. But is there anything you wanted to say that I've not asked? I think just just a bit more about the ambitions for Sassy going forward. So obviously we still want to keep the um, the free community up because that's, uh, like we said before, really important. And all the research that we've done, it's very important. But actually, the, the long-term desire is to kind of grow and offer a little bit more as well. I think if you think about illnesses and stuff like that, prevention is always better than cure. Yeah. So we would like to offer a bit more of a... Um, proactive approach and we need to work with agencies on that probably need a bit of funding for it as well but the the idea would be that um uh, if 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 somebody comes to us immediately we could offer some guidance and support straight away and then if a behavior happens or a bump in the road happens later on we're still there and we're still available to help with that bump in the road not that we'd replace professionals we definitely wouldn't but we've got lived experience to help we could offer um uh, guidance in the meantime because if somebody does have a bump in the road what happens is they would then go to their post-adoption agency they would wait for somebody to be assigned then they would wait to be assessed then they would wait for funding and then something would start and sometimes that's months down the line and sometimes it is training for them nvr for example which obviously we have an nvr um background or some of us have been nvr trained we can help with some strategies in the meantime while they're waiting for that because sometimes that bump while they're waiting can get bigger it can be damaging for mental well-being it can also be harder to fix by the time they've got somebody involved leads to could lead to secondary trauma or blocked care so if we could get there and be involved first it could really help with that so i just wanted to to add to that some our ambitions it's not the free community always be there, but some extra yeah. stuff as well would be would be great. That sounds fantastic. I think like the biggest bonus to that as well is there's no end period for us. 
Whereas when social workers come in, there's so many sessions they can fund or so many they've got to, you know, they're, yeah. they've got to be in and out sort of thing. Whereas we could be there until, yeah. until your children are having grandchildren, if you wanted. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, there's no sure. end point um, to what we provide. Um, so in a, in a sense, we're the alternative to professionals in that way as well. Um, we don't say that we are, we, you come to us and don't go to the professionals. Okay. We just say that we can be a guiding hand in a different, um, in, you know, sort of help help on that path. Yeah. And I guess you were providing like friendship and community, aren't you? Which is yes. has got no sort of, there's no bounds on that really. There's no, no, you know, you can be friends forever and you can, no. that's frequently what happens. Exactly. Um, yeah. And you've... I actually, I actually, sorry. No, no, it's fine. It's I was going to say, I actually consider some of the other community members now, some of my best friends, you know, I've been, I've been away to Butlins with some of them. Um, my child has stayed at Julie's house. Her child has stayed at my house. Um, Julie, you've dog sat for people. They've dog sat for you. So I consider that community now. They're not just a community of you know like-minded peer support people. They are friends, and some of my be- among my best friends now. Well, yeah, and that's my ex- my experience of my peer community. You know, which was you know adoption related. Is that actually yeah. it just it's a shortcut? It's just that there's so many things we don't have to talk about because they're just commonly understood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but if, if we do want to talk about it, they really, really Great. can talk about it. Um, so yes. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a, it feels like a really safe and natural uh, environment where you are accepted, which is what yeah. we're all after, really, isn't it? Yes, um, it is. So you've given the, your website, which is www.sassi.co.uk. Um, people can no, find no, you. No, 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 co. Just the UK. Oh, just Sassy. the UK. Just the UK. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, I had one job, didn't I? Yeah. Blimey. <laughs> Even easier. Even easier. It's a terribly modern world. Um, Do you want to re-record that bit? <laughs> no, I'm happy for my mistakes to stay in. Um, <laughs> and people will definitely remember now because they'll all chuckle at my stupidity. Um, but also people can find you on Facebook as well. And how would, what would be that? Just the same name? S-A-S-S-I? Uh, yes, it's, um, it's Sassy Adopters. So I think it comes on sassy.adopters. So facebook.com, sassy.adopters, I think it is. But the easiest way would just be to go to our website, sassy.uk and all of our socials are on there so you know we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on facebook whatever we're at linkedin we're on all them so just you know go there and then you'll you can go off on whatever path you want to go to from there well that's excellent well thank you so much for your time and um we'll get this out and hopefully we can kind of draw people into your community and the work and people can find out more about the work that you're doing so hope you have a lovely day um and look after yourselves thank you very much thank you very much bye Bye.